Forsake Not the Gods. That's coming up next right here on The Right Stuff. Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we are going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Robert Mullins. You may remember him when we talked about his first book, Bid the Gods Arise. And now we're talking about the second book in the Well of the World series. And I can't wait to dig into this story. After 10 years, he's given us the sequel. And let me tell you, it was worth the wait. We'll get to it in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past 10 years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff. See what you can do. And as always, we cover your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net. Click on that pink follow button and you'll never have to miss a show. And also go ahead, subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you'll be updated with episodes, exclusive content, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today, and click that notification bell so you'll never, ever have to miss an upload. Lastly, I want to thank you for your support of my newest release, A Chance of Jalshin. It is part of the Last Chance Bride series, which is a spinoff of the Blizzard Bride series. Really enjoyed working on that book, and your response has been phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance, go ahead and pick up your copy of A Chance of Jalshin available exclusively on Amazon.com. And now, without further ado, I'm going to bring my returning guest co-host on board today. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me aboard. It's so good to have you back. I know I said the big word, 10 years, and people are like, 10 years? Yes, 10 years. Took them 10 years to get the second book done. But let me tell you, and as I told him before we started recording, it was worth the way I thoroughly enjoyed Forsake Not the Gods. And I want people to know a little bit about you before we delve into Forsake Not the Gods and in general, just the Well the World series. So go ahead, let people know a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a husband and a father. I work in secure records uh, storage and uh, shredding, which is really exciting, let me tell you. And so I work in my writing around a fairly busy home life, uh, which is part of the reason it took 10 years between books. I conceived the book, which was supposed to be one story back in 1994, I think it was, with my cousin. We decided that it would be fun to start telling each other an interesting story, and it grew into something much, much larger over the years. So even though my cousin is no longer around to be a contributor to the story, I have continued to do this more or less in his honor and, you know, with the drive to finish the story that we had set out to tell even though it's vastly bigger than we ever imagined. And that's the thing. It is a massive story. And as you read the story, there is a little bit of going back and forth between various points of view because you're following a group of people. But that doesn't at any way detract from the epic feel of this book. So I can't wait for Robert to go deep into that. But I guess we got to know about the first book in this series, which is Bid the Gods Arise. So go ahead, tell them the premise of the first book is about? Well, the first book starts, you know, essentially with a young man who is haunted by visions of the future. And he is troubled. And I'd say he's in early teens. He's um, troubled by the fact that he has seen his dreams come to pass. And 
usually it's no big deal because it's, you know, little things that you might foresee happening in school the next week or what have you. But these are dark visions, dark visions of eldritch creatures and ancient horrors. And so he's a little bit worried. And basically, it starts with a kind of standard fantasy premise. The you know, people in a pre-technological society uh, are um, going about their lives. There's an arranged marriage, stuff like that. And then, of course, they're what we would consider abducted by aliens and realize that there's a vast world out there or system of worlds that they had no idea existed. And so they're caught up into a much larger drama of these ancient vampiric gods and who have, you know, designs on Arik and as well as a slave ring that crosses uh, multiple worlds and ancient religious order that is trying to right the wrongs of the galaxy as much as it can. The thing about Bid the Gods Arise is that it was pretty much well contained on one single planet. But in the second book, they kind of go all over the place. I want people to understand, too, how they're traveling. And you call it the well of the world. And, of course, when you kind of think about the concept, you probably think of Stargate. Tell our listeners what the well of the worlds are about. Well, Stargate is not a bad analogy because, it, as with Stargate, you have portals that lead from world to world. Uh, unlike Stargate, there's no particular control over these pools in the uh, magician's nephew where uh, each one kind of leads to a different place. Now, these are not alternate dimension worlds as they were kind of in uh, Lewis's work. These are simply different planets. And what we um, find out in the story, although it's oblique because, uh, you know, it's being explained to people who really don't understand how it all works, is that there are kind of wormholes and slipstreams, uh, essentially rivers through space. And so the people on the planet are, are able to use these wells to travel from place to place. But there is also space travel where, you know, if you have a world without a well, you are still able to access it through uh, a long voyage, a counterpoint with a sea voyage, but you know, in this case, it's a space voyage through space travel. Without giving away too many spoilers, because there is certain something to be had by reading the first book. So it's okay if you spoil it a little bit, but not too much. So what has happened from Bid the Gods Arise to Forsake Not the Gods? Well, when we pick up in Forsake Not the Gods, some of the major dynamics have changed on Argoth. The leader of the slave ring has been brought down. And so uh, what they're in the middle of right now is kind of a mop-up operation. And the vampiric gods that we mentioned have become ascendant. They are now more or less in control of this planet. Now, they've been sequestered on this planet for you know, millennia. And I guess, as you say, without too many spoilers, you know, part of this is they think they're stuck there. So they part of Bid the Gods Arise was the ascent of these ancient creatures from more or less what we would consider a dark fey world, just a, existing parallel to the uh, humans on this planet, to possibly becoming a greater threat. Now, they were instrumental in you know, all of the events that wrapped up Bid the Gods Arise. But, of course, you're left with the question of, well, which is worse? <laughs> The effects of these vampiric gods actually affect the land that they occupy as well. And go ahead and describe that change in the lands. 
Oh, certainly. The area they inhabit is called the Greylands, and it's a kind of metastasizing of the land. It's a transformation where the rock begins to grow and take on the form of giant antler-like roots and vines uh, so that buildings and all the rock and land around it will take on the appearance of what looks like a massive system of roots and trees. It's a form of fairy in the sense that the land they inhabit is a slightly different world, but you can enter it and the rules are slightly different there. But as their power increases, so the land grows. And it's a bit like having a blight on a forest or whatever. Everything around there will die and the land will take on this warped and twisted form. This, I was, when I was reading this part again, I was reminded of that movie, Annihilation. Did you ever see that movie that came out a few years ago? I mean to, but I, I have not seen it. It's probably similar in principle. I don't know. Not quite, not quite, but just the idea of this land being taken over by an entity. And when you go into this land, things are just different. Like you may have like a bear flower and that's quite deadly. Yeah, it's just stuff like that. Like this weird mutation happens to the land. We got this band of characters because when you have epic fantasy, epic sci-fi fantasy almost, I kind of call it. And that's one thing about this book. You can't quite pin down the genre. They have these characters that we follow throughout the story. Let's talk about the cousins first and what their dynamic is that changed from bid the gods arise to forsake not the gods. Well, what would you like to know about them? They've always been close. Just the dynamic. They've always been close, but things have changed now. Okay. Well, yeah. Arik, the visionary, he has been ensorcelled, as it were. He's the prince under the dark spell, if you want to go with the... Um, fairy tale trope. He's been taken in by this, I guess, succubus-like goddess who wants his visionary power for reasons that I think will become clear in the book. But he is not sure what's going to happen because he has made a vow that he thinks has more or less chained his fate to theirs. And he and his cousin are estranged, I guess would be the best word. They're not antagonistic towards one another, but their relation is not what it had. Their relationship is not what it had been. And, you know, it will not be, uh, at least in their eyes, until certain things in their lives can be reconciled, not the least of which is the connection to the Rayamar. Eric, he's constantly thinking that he really can't make a decision. And there's urgings throughout the story where he say, you can choose. Do we have free will? Despite our decisions that we make, can we still come out of it? You know, you hear a lot of these uh, positivity people say, if you don't like your life, change it. But there are people who say, I can't do that. And you kind of say, well, why not? And then they come with this, what would you, what we would call excuses, right? But if you really want to change it, you'll make that change. But then some people say no, because these circumstances. So there's that kind of dynamic going on a little bit with Arik and with some of the other characters, they have their own struggles to face. So Talk about the next two characters in this story that we're going to talk about. There's a lot of characters, dear listeners, so I urge you to pick up your copy of Forsake Not the Gods, and then make sure you pick up the first book, Bid Not the Gods Arise. So go ahead and tell us the next two characters we're going to be introduced to. We've talked about Sharon, the Rayamar, and Valisand, who is more or less the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this group. The Rayamar are generally a very collective society, almost but not quite a hive mind in that they have very interconnected thoughts. But part of that is uh, this young Raymar woman's story is that she can't block these out of her head. So it's a little bit like living with everyone else's 
thoughts constantly audible in your own mind. So she actually seeks out a kind of sanctuary with Balisand and the group because uh, she was offered that choice before and refused it and realized that that was probably to her own detriment. But she she has sought out Valisand. Valisand is a little bit at a loss. She is a follower of the Source, which is kind of the one god of this story, uh, you know, the creator god, the first cause. And she is not very happy because things are not going as she had expected. Not necessarily that she ever expects things to go exactly as planned, but she has certain expectations as to you know what her obedience and her mission mean and everything has just kind of fallen apart on her so she loses quite a bit in very short time and so she is wrestling with god as it were throughout most of the story and what her role is what she's supposed to be doing when she's been at this for some time and pretty usually pretty sure about how she's situated in her position and her role and all of a sudden she's at a loss and she is trying like mad to figure out why she's being told to do one thing when everything in her gut tells her that she needs to be doing something else. So, uh, you know, with the uh, interplay between those two is brief, but, you know, uh, significant in that she is trying to mentor everyone who comes into her life when she herself is feeling lost. And then, of course, my favorite character, and I know this is a fan favorite for those who watch the Well of the World series, is Dania. And Dania just jumps off the page. You instantly like her. She's like this Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but not <laughs> quite but with like the female version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but she's also quite vulnerable. She's just this kick-A character. So go ahead and tell us about Dania. Well, uh, Dania or Dania, as I've I've often thought of her, uh, but again, pronunciation is up to the reader. Uh, she she started off more as a counterpoint to everyone else in the group because everyone else is pretty straight laced, and I wanted a, a wild card, someone who is a little more chaotic and unpredictable. And she was just fun to write in Bid the Gods Rise. Now I explored her past through Blood Song and revealed a a great deal that was you know pretty heartbreaking because she's essentially a little girl forced to grow up way before her time. Uh, she has a very strong survivalist uh, streak, which is what has kind of kept her going. But it has definitely cost her emotionally and probably mentally. If any of the group needs counseling, it would probably be Dania, if you could get her to sit still long enough for it, of course. But she has become one of the more interesting and dynamic characters of the entire series. Uh, fans really latched onto her, which is one of the reasons I went back and did that uh, prequel novella. And I wanted to explore a little more of what entering this group has meant to her, because she has been alone for so long and surviving sometimes to the point where she doesn't even really know why she continues to do it. So she's had to learn a great deal about accepting others and being accepted by others, especially. And it definitely plays into that whole idea that, you know, we're all we are all but human in the end, no matter how tough the exterior. But she just really pops up off the page. And when you get to know her instantly, when I started reading for Take Not the Gods and saw her point of view pop up, I was like, oh, Dania, you know, she's just really a fun character. And you follow her, and she is unpredictable. She is quite chaotic. 
but with this group of people, that sort of changes as you as you go along in the story. So there's a lot of characters in this story. We only mentioned a few of them because I want to encourage you to pick up your copy of Forsake Not the Gods, available on Amazon.com. And also make sure you go ahead and get your first copy of Bid the Gods Arise to start off the whole series. Now, there's one aspect of this I want to talk about here. The stories are drenched in gods. Okay, and they're drenched in faith elements and they're drenched in all this other kind of stuff. But you do a really unique thing with this whole concept of gods and things of that nature. And what is that concept that you're using to kind of play off it for our listeners out there? Well, it's it's not based on this because I came into uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's work long after I started The Wells of the Worlds, but it's similar to the Divine Council worldview where you have a number of divine beings, so you have real gods in the worlds, but you have only one creator god who is supreme over all. And then, of course, in the um, not only the biblical worldview, but every ancient worldview, there are rebels. There are you know, the gods who are not doing the will of the Father, as it were. And so it's a kind of treatise, if you will, on monotheism within a pantheon, the idea that you have a correct God to worship, but not necessarily the only God who is available to worship. And this is going to go a little bit into spoiler territory, but you know, it's nothing new to anyone who has studied any kind of theology, is that you, you have the, the rebels who are essentially taking worship unto themselves when they were meant to be conduits of worship to, in this case, the source, the, the one God. And as we all know, when we take glory that isn't ours, we end up in a place we shouldn't be. And that's kind of where the Raymar were. They thought that they deserved all of the glory, all of the accolades, and you know, especially all of the worship, because in, in this world, uh, worship is a kind of giving of self, and it does affect their abilities. And so they felt very jilted and cheated by the fact that they were not supposed to actually have all of that back in the past. So you have this kind of Miltonian idea of these fallen angels who have become these vampiric creatures uh, that suck on souls to maintain their immortality. And they are gods, that is to say, as they would have been classically understood to be, but they are also fallen. I, I would call them like lesser gods, you know, if like for a better term, because when I first heard about Mike Heiser's, and he just passed away, the late Mike Heiser passed away recently, he talked about basically, for the lack of a better term, forgive him for saying the wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, is these spiritual beings were made out of the same stuff as God. I'm probably saying it wrong. Not like ectoplasm. I don't know how to say it. It's this idea that the gods, they're spiritual beings who also have power, but they don't, they're not all powerful. And there's only one power. Like they were created by the God. You know what I'm saying? They were created by the creator Lord. And so with the whole divine council, you got these different gods who are supposed to lead creation back to the creator God. I know I'm not a scholar, but there are some things I just do not agree with Mike Kaiser about, but like he cares about my opinion. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> And this is a mythic tape. This is a mythic take on the whole thing. You know, if you delve into any old, you know, story, whether it's Sumerian or whatever, you you have these stories of the gods and the conflicts between them. And I just decided, well, they are fascinating stories, and I'd like to give them a kind of framework that is a little more grounded in what we would understand as, you know, perhaps the fey world, so that we would understand that these creatures, whatever you may call them, you know, the Longavai, the, the long-lived ones, the, the immortals, are all tied in somewhere in the distant past to their relationship to the, the source of all life. 
When you read the story, you're going to get the idea that, yeah, you have this sci-fi aspect, we're going to have this mythological aspect because so much of different diverse ancient cultures collide in these stories. And so you'll see things as you walk through the various worlds that you come across and various lands you come across, you'll see these distinctions there. Pick up your copy of Forsake Not the Gods, available on Amazon.com. And while you're at it, you might as well go ahead and pick up Bid the Gods Arise which is book one of the Wells of the World series. So lots of good stuff going on here. We literally only scratched the surface. If we were to go in depth into this story, we'd be here another four hours. <laughs> and so unfortunately, Robert has a life, and I have something like that too. So we can't be on here for four hours. What did you learn about yourself from book one to book two that you can share with our listeners? Well, because of how much time passed between the inception of the story, which is actually a much longer uh, ago than the actual publication, and you know the time that I finally put out book two, I've aged, I've grown, I have a family, I have different perspectives on things. I've done my own wrestling with God, which probably has influenced some of the struggles that the characters go through uh, in Forsake Not the Gods. And I would say, you know, apart from just becoming a better writer, which hopefully after that many years pass, I would. Yeah, I've come to the story with a couple decades of experience now that say, all right, well, the characters haven't aged much because, you know, the sequel picks up pretty much where the last one leaves off, but I have. And so I would like to think that I brought a little bit of that experience with me as I was composing the book so that it takes on a little more mature tone, I believe, and the characters probably have different struggles than they might have had had I written the entire series back in 94 when it was first conceived. And that's what I like about the story, because I told him before we started recording, dear listener, that I enjoyed Bid Not the Gods Arise, but Forsake Not the Gods is just so much better. As not a ding at Bid Not the Gods Arise, it's just a different story because you're a different person than you were when the first book came out. So I'm really excited to share that with our listeners. And the reason why is that I want you to use this experience that Robert shared with you to tell your own story. As you know, we're always about encouraging aspiring authors to pick up the pen and write. And you may be dismayed that your second book or your first book takes years to write. But during that time, the good Lord is changing you and transforming you into what he wants you to be. People want to connect with you, Robert. Where can they find you online? Uh, well, probably Facebook is the easiest place. I, I have a website that I keep threatening to put up, but it's not up yet. So <laughs> <laughs> for now, Facebook, and then eventually, hopefully, uh, there will be a website as well. That is the easiest way. I do have an author page, uh, which I always encourage people to follow. And, you know, if I get enough feedback, I may create a group because I gather that's actually where things are kind of heading now. I do have a Twitter account. I hardly ever use it. I have an Instagram account. I hardly ever use it. So, yeah, I'd say for now, Facebook is, is kind of the way to go. Robert, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Well, thank you very much. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity, and I will be back hopefully uh, before another 10 years pass. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope I still be doing it another 10 years, that's for sure. But thank you so much, Robert. appreciate having you on. Thank you. 
And we were talking today to Robert Mullins. He is the author of the new hot off the press release, Forsake Not the Gods, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead and pick up the first book of the series called Bid Not the Gods Arise. Let me tell you, you are in for a treat. I told Robert before we started recording that I was drunk in his world. I was drowning in his words. And it's such a good tale. I want to encourage you to go ahead and pick up your copy. That story that God has in you, it doesn't matter how long it takes. As long as you are obedient to the words that he gives you, why not go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff? Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>